Hi there, my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the show where we speak with a range of art world players. For the final episode of 2022, Jasmine Mansbridge joins us. I first spoke with Jasmine back in 2020. It was her murals, paintings and sculptures that caught my eye. Jasmine paints geometrical work that seems like mm, it's like portals or windows to another world. There is some incredible line work in her paintings, like straight lines. And when I found out she doesn't use painter's tape, oh my God, it blew my mind. Fast forward to the end of 2022, and Jasmine has included NFTs, film work, and poetry to her creative disciplines. To say 2022 has been a big year for Jasmine and I, and most likely you too, is an understatement. You can hear our voices are husky, we're reflective and fatigued, and we meander into a deeper conversation about life and how we handle it. In today's episode of Interview with an Artist, we talk about a raft of things, including the last year and how it contrasts to 2021, what it was like for Jasmine traveling to North Africa via Europe for an artist residency, the internal battle she feels at times between being a responsible adult, mother of five, and wanting to focus solely on her creative work, how the lows of loss and grief focus your attention and show you who your tribe are, and how the algorithm is making Jasmine consider traditional media opportunities again. Now, on a side note, when we start talking about the residency in Tunisia, and a certain philosophy for life, the philosopher Jasmine is searching for is the Greek philosopher Epicurus and the Epicurean way of life. You'll hear us in that kind of section going, oh my God, I can't figure it out. And I say, I'll put it in the side notes. So there we go, it's there. How Jasmine navigates the world and continues to push her practice forward is incredibly inspirational. It was great to reconnect with her again and round out the year with some deeper thoughts on life. Also, as this is the last episode for 2022, a huge thank you to you. Thank you for tuning in each episode and sharing it around and for coming back time and time again. Now, I'm terrible at asking for things, but if I could please ask you one thing. If you haven't already, could you please give the podcast a rating on either Apple or Spotify? I would be so greatly appreciative. And to those of you who already have, a big fat thank you to you. Mentoring is closed for the year and January 2023 is booked out. So if you're wanting to start the year off on the right foot and have a plan, there are still sessions available in February. Head on over to wilhelminarusso.com to book in. Now have a wonderful festive season with your loved ones. I hope you are taking a break and I will see you or maybe you'll hear me in your ears <laughs> back in 2023 with season five, which is going to be a little different. I'm really excited to share that with you next year. Alrighty, that's enough from me. Let's get into this last chat for 2022 with Jasmine Mansbridge. Jasmine Mansbridge, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. It is December. It is literally the last week of school for your kids. Thank God for that. They- <laughs> the ones that have been going. <laughs> oh, my God. You have had an epic 2022. It's been huge. It's been really huge, actually. I mean, I, I my, my, my kind of quote, unquote, to myself, <laughs> I think it was the end of last year, the beginning of the year, was like, 
resurrect my dreams. Okay, I'm going to resurrect them all. I'm just going to like go for it and there's going to be all hold, no holds barred, it's no excuses. You know, let's just do all the things I want to do and look at me at the end. <laughs> We're like been through the ringer, been through the creative ringer. But it's been a huge year and I've um, a lot of things that I really wanted to make and do I've, I've, have happened. Far out. Okay, let's like, I'm just thinking of the ones off the top of my head that I know, like, you launched a successful range of NFTs. You went to Europe on residency. You were on the Gold Coast with your sculptures. Show in Byron Bay. Show in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's been a year. Oh, and I made a film, which I love. The film is like really quite the sum of everything to date. Okay, wait, let me like go back. How's the NFT thing going? The NFT is really, I mean, I started doing those two years ago. Almost three years, yeah. You know, end of, I made the first uh, digital piece in the beginning of 220. So it was kind of end of 219. Personally, as an artist who loves art forms, they've been excellent and really blown, you know, and that's why they're not making a film because they've really taken they've really given a platform for that well, a big platform for viewing and sharing that particular kind of work. And I haven't actually, I haven't made an NFT of my film and I don't know if I will, because it's just so, you know, they're super expensive to make for a start to, and then, you know, very loaded and very personal. So, but the NFTs because of the the actual underpinning thing with NFTs is a, a abstract financial market you know, like where blockchains, which are, uh, uh, what do you call it? They're, they're not a stable currency. Some of them, are, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are far more stable than the others. And that, but there's been a lot of, you know, up dips and ups and downs in that particular market, which can, of course, affect the value of the work and the confidence of collectors and all that kind of stuff. So I'm there because now once, you know, I've got work there. Mm. But I haven't been putting a lot of energy towards it in the last. I mean, I've been making. I've had actually. I had, I had an NFT in Fed Square. I mean, I know where in October. I, I am active there, but because I really multifaceted when it comes to the genres and my commitment to my work, it's like, for better or worse, yeah. You know, I'm making things and then I put them to the world and trust that they have their own lifespan. Because I'm here forever until you know, and the work. I mean, that work also does technically last forever or never. <laughs> it's like, this is the, it's like this, you know, non-physical work, but it is physical. How did you feel when you walked into Federation Square down in Melbourne and saw like your big, beautiful NFT up there? That was really, I mean, I, so, I mean, in terms of how hard I work, you know, I was working from five to seven and then, you know, 10 to 12 every night on that. Cause that was literally the only two, that was the only way I could over a period of like six or seven weeks. Cause you don't see the amount of work that goes into creating something like that from really from nothing. And I don't have tech skills, so I work with other people. So that's like, <laughs> it's like so many so much back and forth because I've got to translate what's in my head for then someone else to make that. So that was a really a lot of work, but it was really wonderful to see art showcased in in such a, you know, a venue, in that kind of venue on large scale. So it was really great. I felt good about myself that day. 
I feel good about my work. Sometimes when you go through so many stages and artists of not feeling good about your work or yourself. Like. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I think we were just saying previously that we're both like crawling across the finish line. It's been a big year, a big year. And you've done the same thing while we're sort of going, okay, I want to do this thing. I'm going to make it happen, you know, for better or worse. For better or worse. 30 by 30. It's going to kill me. But We need to do this. Like this is literally a love job. And I said to you that, you know, the whole point of creating any kind of work is to kind of rally the troops and make these things and connect people and all that. But, it, you know, and I'm at that point too. So at the end it's like, actually, you know, no one, even, no one pays you doing this stuff. It's like, why? You know, I go through stages of that all the time when you speak to a lot of artists. I'm, it's not, you know, you can feel very alone in that, but it's not within, I think <laughs> it was the one who, end up cutting off his ear. I mean, we've all been wondering why we do it for centuries, you know. There's Leonardo stabbing money off his friends to get bread. It's like, he can't, you know. Anyway. Oh, my God, I know. I know, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. It's been, and it's funny, right, because we all had these couple of years of, like, locked in, locked down, shrunk lives, and then 2022, We've all burst back onto the scene. Exactly, you know, I think, you know, isn't it? Yeah. How was Tunisia? Oh, Tunisia was just so, and see, and Tunisia was incredible and that opportunity actually came, <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but I met the curator um, of this, you know, NFT space and, you know, they also have a residency in Tunisia in an NFT chat room when I was just exploring the space and wanting to get in. And it's so funny because now I know this space so well and I'm so like, are you a scammer? Are you a scammer? Mm. Whereas, you know, like when in us, typically me, I'm so green and cheery and naive. <laughs> and anyway, by the grace of God, God, I'll tell you. Anyway, I met this woman in a chat room who turned, you know, who's turned out to be a wonderful person and friend and a and hugely, huge supporter of arts, you know, coming out of Africa and, you know, just a, you know, and incredibly young too. I found out when I got there, I was like, oh, she's like 26. I'm like, I just thought we were like the same, you know. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, this is, this is typically me. I'm so busy. I just rock up with my stuff and then I find out everything when I get there. Um, but no, that's the, the residency in Tunisia. Visually, Tunisia felt like the land of my birth and my interior world is just so matched by the the architecture, the, you know, faded architecture and also just a lot of the Tunisian life, which I think more suits me, which is very, very uh, what's his name? There's a philosopher <laughs> and it's there. Um and I know I have to remember because this is a podcast. I can't. No, that's what I mean. <laughs> you can eat. You can email it to me afterwards, and I can put it in the show notes. But what was it about the lifestyle? Oh no, well, it's just very. It's more. It's more family and relationship based. Yeah. Based around eating together and spending time together and creating together and really. I mean, obviously, money is always a concern anywhere you go, and and and, and as an artist and with a lot to you know I'm at the top of a tall tree of looking after things you know you need an income but but just that uh, I think you know it reminded me of how easy it is to slip right into being an artist purely for commercial or financial reasons and forget about 
you know, the actual joy of making art in community and, and you know, we had, I did a big workshop there with young, young people, which, is, which I really love. Like my heart is really in and I get a lot out of those things so much more than the people I'm doing with them, to be honest, because it just, you know, art's just so incredibly good for people and so incredibly healing and good for our mental health and all these things. And so that aspect I really enjoy about Tunisia. Also, I had, you know, just being by myself and only having myself to be responsible for and my work, which is always when I have the opportunity, that is incredibly, yeah, it just opens a lot of portals in my head. I have time for a lot of downloads of new ideas, yeah, which is lovely. And, you know, that will resonate through my work. You know, I think every experience layer, brings layers and depth into your work. Um, so the Tunisian residency was great. And I've got a residency coming up next year in France, which I'm looking Lady, for. you are like, on, you are. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, when COVID, COVID started, it really, you know, put the brakes on me. Big time. It was very good for me, but I had the run that I'm doing in France now coming up was one that I had was supposed to be doing in 220. Okay. So it's okay. like a catch up residence, you know, not a catch up yeah. one, but this was a thing but- that works for some time. Um, and there's other opportunities too. Like you said, it's kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of actually it's so busy because I'm doing the things that were already in process before COVID. Back to your kind of first physical practice. How is that going? Yeah, because I was thinking about our last conversation, actually, as I was driving in to come, you know, to get home to talk. Because I know last time I spoke to you, I was climbing the mountains a lot. Yeah. Climbing the mountains a lot, which I'm still doing. I mean, I'm pretty obsessed with the mountains nearby me and collecting particular rocks and and really looking at how I can incorporate, you know, my my environment into my work and actually this is what I've done with the film because I've made a really site-specific film even though you won't know that yep and the film the film is I mean I you know anytime you really love an environment and begin to care for it it obviously opens up all the questions of preservation of that environment and also our environment at large and going to Tunisia and I think you know that trip I went to Tunisia and then just looking at I mean we're you know this is the film I've made and I, I, I don't know, I don't know if I've, I've, it's, it's hard to share it. I haven't put it on, I haven't, I've chosen not to just put it on social media or yeah. on a YouTube clip because it's really everyone who, it's very powerful film. Um, it's only a short So are you kind of just figuring how you release it or how you? Well, it's currently showing in the regional gallery here until. Oh, okay. It's a very large screen and it's yeah. showing with a sculpt, with an, a large scale installation of mine and a big painting. And if anyone looks on Instagram, you'll see some stuff there. Because it's so, you know, anytime we live in such a flick, flick, flick world mm. that the film has context that I feel yeah. is lost yeah not viewed properly and um that's will it tour will it tour other regional galleries like it will go i want it to go to mona that's what i want it really would would you know the the film would be perfect there so david walsh (laughs) (laughs) actually no yeah there's i i am in conversation with someone it's not david walsh oh my god okay and so my painting practice which i think yeah I mean, painting is my first and I it's like my I can't get away from it I have gone over here and he's all set up with a painting in the house because I've 
you know, that's one way of being a pretty busy parent as well. I can manage to paint and I've got my studio at home here and I'm topping and tailing every day with painting. If I'm not, I paint really almost every day, rarely a day I don't. And I like to get a few hours, um, whether it be at night or in the morning or, you know, so the painting practice is definitely evolving. I've also lost, you know, some really fundamental figures in my life in the last 12 months Yeah. with, you know, death my ex-husband, father-in-law, and then and others, there's other, there, I mean, there's elements of your life you also, it's like a balance between being a public person and a private person. And there's elements of my life that I don't share that are also really, really difficult. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the balance of evolving as, as an artist and being able to connect with people or connect them to particular things um, without all the details you know, and that kind of leads into the other thing that I'm doing so much, which is so much poetry and so much writing, which I feel like this distillation of words, you're able to connect really deeply with deep feelings and emotions, but without the written content that says this person, that person, rah, rah, rah. So, and, and so the film that I made is overlaid with a poem of mine. It, it is, it's quite powerful. Most people who watch it, I, I still, it's, I wrote it at 3 a.m. in the morning in bed on my iPhone in my voice recorder and then put that, that is the overlay, one tape, that is the overlay on the film. I've been loving the poetry. I just noticed it again. Yeah. I, I saw you post it initially and then I was like, oh, and so I started reading some of it in your, in your comments that you've been putting in. And I think you're right. It is a beautiful way to communicate the emotion and power of the situation without having to go into the detail of all of that granular detail, but you get the emotion and you get the power. Yeah. I, poetry is like this. I mean, I've been writing poetry for many years, you know, like going back, I used to be a songwriter and a singer and then I chose art because I was a single mom and I was like, I can't gig. Like, I can't gig. I can't leave my kids. This is just fundamentally not going to work. I can't tour. And, you know, and so I was like, well, I'm just going to paint, you know, and I'm just, the writing became very, very personal kind of from that point on. It's only really now with the NFTs and the film, I see a, poss a way to engage people more deeply with spoken word because my poetry is also kind of, it's more spoken word. It kind of, unless you read it out loud, it, it can sound a little clunky, you know, or read a little clunky. But, yeah, so, you know, it's funny how life goes because I've also then, after this huge year, you know, there's other, you know, stuff going on where I've been, you know, I've got five children and where my, my I've reached that point where my, I know now I need to also reground myself back into rearing children, you know, and that's like, oh, you know, there's always the things that you want to do and then the things that are required of you and there's somehow, though, this when, you know, when you fight things, it, you know, and, and you get have this discontent that that doesn't serve you, and it's like almost in the kind of the submission that the creative process. You know, your roots go deeper, and you just, you know, for me, my every time my back is against the wall, so to speak, it's like, ah, oh, okay, it's like then I'm rewarded with, and it's not, I'm not like, okay, my back's against the wall, come on, hit me, give me ideas. It's like just in that really difficult 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 space that then it's like there's something that's like you know the the little seed pod in the fire it's just like boom the seed pod gets burst open and I feel like 
really that's what's, you know, I mean, I go, why me? Like, I feel like, my, you know, why do these things keep happening to me? But then it's like, oh, okay, there's some grain of something that other people need, you know, and, and for whatever reason, you know, I've kind of been given, I get given the words or the images or something to share what I'm experiencing, which I also know, which is the job of an artist is just to connect other people to their, to themselves, you know, and it's like the, you know, we don't listen to Rihanna's songs or whatever to feel sorry, like to think about what Rihanna's going through. Like you listen to it and you're feeling your own feelings and your own emotions. And I feel like that is my job as an artist to hopefully, you know, that's the ultimate job of any artist is that people look at your work and they feel their own, they access parts of themselves that might be dormant or they find difficult to deal with. I love that. You know, and it's like I get to go and do all these things, but essentially I, you know, and I live in a regional area, I think, you know, if anyone's familiar with my work, I live away from everything that almost the parts of me that love that stuff and it's like, and then I and then I get grounded and it's like, ah, oh, okay, I'm grounded, I'm grounded. But then I make work and it's been, you know, I had children when I was super young and that was my experience then. It's like, I want to go to Europe backpacking, I can't. Oh, and it's like, okay, I have this, I have work, I have the work to do. It's like I go, oh, and and then I have work, you know, I have something that needs to be said that's said. So I'm back at that. <laughs> it feels like you've had this 22 burst out into the world, now kind of coming back to a grounding at the end of the year, family recuperating What's 2023? There's things that have been putting on, put on my table, quite frankly, that are really very you know, exciting for me and big and will push me um, a lot. And it's balancing that with then the greater needs of, of everyone who relies on me. How do I, and I, I mean, I know this, this resonates for probably every woman, parent, you're looking after your parents or your, whatever, whoever you, we're nurturers and caregivers. And so as an artist, it's like, Innately, there's a part of me that selfishly does and need to make work, but then there's the other parts of me that has to recognise there's seasons and times where I have to expand and contract, you know. So it's 22, 23, I mean, I think, you know, I have a lot of painting that I want to do and uh, we'll see what happens and there's other things, you know, that are kind of always I have to choose. You know, choose is like I have this big child that needs rearing you know in terms of the body my work how I see it like where's the best you know what's best for it next like where am I going to spend my energy and my time and my money you know as I said this making sculptures is a huge like um, it's like you make these things and it's like you know irrationally some of the rational mind I should you know any cent you get you should be putting into shares or getting a new kitchen or that is the irrationality of an artist that you do things that you want to create, like a create this language that people can access that helps them in a different way, see the world differently, that we have just beauty even. But no, I was, you know, I've been, I was speaking to a friend yesterday and one person who always kind of I felt encouraged by is, do you know Patti Smith? Patti Smith who had the songs and wrote the book. Oh, I was going to say musician? She, I mean, you know, she's very encouraging. I looked at her career a lot when I was raising my, you know, when I was, you know, I'm still raising children, but when I had babies and I felt very stuck at home and very, you know, not enabled to make any work. And she 
she speaks about in one of her books where she decided, I mean, all she could do was just write this line of verse or prose a day. And that was like her contribution was just so paired back. <laughs> she was paired back and paired back from this lifestyle that she paired back to, you know, you're making porridge and hanging clothes and, you know, you're really, and children don't care who you are or what you've done. They don't care. They just want you to give them a, you know, they know. They don't even want you to give them a bath and put them to bed. You've got to, you know, like, it's like, oh. And for me, you know, I've my oldest daughter's almost 26 and my youngest is eight. So I'm like, uh, universe, I don't really. I'm being yeah. back, you know. Perhaps I needed a lot of pairing back. I tend to have a big ego. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> But, you know, so, you know, and I, I, I know that this stuff resonates with so many, so many um, people who are juggling roles, you know, and and would love to just, I would have loved to never come back from Tunisia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I would have just stayed to just make work. Is so, there's a huge part of me that wants to abandon ship and um, just make work. But obviously that there's, you, you know, that's, it can't be done. It's self-destructive to, to even your own practice that's self-destructive. Yeah. I was talking to a friend last week. I think she's in her early 60s. I'm in my early 40s. And we were just saying, well, we're still learning. We're still learning about where the boundary is, where the parameters are, what you're capable of, what you're not, like lessons and like big lessons. <laughs> god and like my beautiful young camera guy and digital guy sean he was like i feel like i could have kept going and i was like (laughs) (laughs) i absolutely could not have kept going you're also direct you know i think the energy of directing anything is huge you know the energy of creation and the energy of dark you know if you know someone is say your cameraman They've not got the mental load of, of of your audience, and you know they're con- they're considering very different things. Yeah, and I think because we're both we're just giving it a go, right? Like neither of us like he's like a young and he's like like directing as much as he can, but both of us are just newbies to it. But everybody, this is the thing, you know. And I think at some point you kind of realize and embody this. And I have, I, I have definitely in the last five years, it's, I just don't care anymore. And I think that's probably the, you know, I really don't. And also there are like no artist was ever listening to the rules, you know, when they, when they created something meaningful. And so why do we feel like we need to stick to a really strict paradigm and, and this kind of box of how to even be an artist? Like it kind of defeats the entire Thing. And we're living in a time of just such great societal change and cultural yeah. change. And literally I feel like everything is under the microscope. I mean, relationships are like everything is, how we do everything is under the microscope. But I also see that, read this autobiography of H.G. Wells who, you know, he wanted to create a utopia and wanted to also change all the boundaries and parameters of how people should live. And then it's like you kind of got to also look at old wisdom and and look at, what you know fundamentally we need as humans because because you can't actually break all the rules without paying very dearly do you mean so that's i think as a society we need old wisdom um and new ways you know and and actually some of the really old wisdom is what we need and old ways of doing things are what we need to kind of return to 
Yeah. How is the sculpture work up on the Gold Coast? So I make my sculptures so they can really, I mean, they best interact with a natural environment. So either down here um, in the mountains or on the sea, you know, because they're, you know, for people who are listening, they're mirrored, they're reflective steel, and so they reflect everything back to them. And this one had a neon a neon perspex roof. And so it just threw the most beautiful light. And it's just, I mean, I make things that are simply beautiful and as well and absorbing so you can get in there and you're not thinking about anything else. There's something meditative about it. And for children too, I mean, you know, children love that one. I mean, they love them in dro- they come in droves and put their beautiful sticky fingerprints all over yeah. <laughs> the really beautiful polished surface, which is what they're supposed to do. Um, but, you know, um, there's a journey of those large-scale sculptures too because they start in the paintings as, you know, ideas and represent different things. And, and the thought catcher actually, which is the cube that I made a few years ago, um, you know, which are originated in my work as well, that is an, in an installation in its white and timber and it's in the regional gallery to support the film because the film also features a thought catcher. So... You know, there's like this relationship that goes back and a dialogue that goes back and forth between the, you know, the sculptural work. and the, Yeah, all your different mediums. Yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, I used to be really concerned about having this body of work that felt kind of disjointed, but, you know, not to not to me, but to other people looking, be like, there's no relationship between that piece or that piece. But I'm really kind of happy uh, where the work's going now. It's kind of they're kind of morphing into patchworks of ideas with everything in there and using that storytelling to to talk about life and death and you know I mean I think losing people and having death close to you it fundament it fundamentally has changed how I feel about my own practice and my family and you know legacy I've got a 20 almost 26-year-old and 23-year-old daughters and, you know, they're both very creative and just really getting into their own creative careers. And so, and my children are all creative and as a mother, you know, I'm starting to go, okay, now this is all, this is not just about me and my work. Fundamentally, there's a point when there's like this changeover and it's changeover in my head to look at how best I can also support them and their practices and and, you know, like, it's not just about me, you know, it's about a create, like what does a creative family do within a community or, you know, like it's not just for Instagram or just for any other form and way of being other than that you really make a contribution to how people feel about themselves, you know, and how people view various, um, you know, what, Tragedies turning, you know, it's just like so, you know, like what's what fundamentally goes wrong in life can also be what's fundamentally going right. We don't see that in the short term, and it doesn't often feel like that, even when you know that you can look back and see a trajectory of of how life's gone. And for me, you know, I had children when I was really young. Sorry, Caprice, we talk about this, but you know that wasn't my game, wasn't my plan. We do talk about this, you know, but but it's given me a life, given me a very different life, but the one that I think um have been fitted and supposed to have had. You know, and there's a deep trust in that. And then going forward, it's like, how do I overlay the same trust? How do I 
just stay at peace with things that feel like they, they shouldn't be happening? How do I overlay that? And then how do I put that through my practice? You know, how does my practice make people feel about their practices or about their lives? You know, and if anything, I hope it makes people feel like, you know, it's a long game and and um, you just have to be. I mean, I fight so hard for my work, honestly. I fight, I'm like in the boxing ring to get an hour for painting sometimes. Not, not you know, it's not that I'm like, ah! It's just like I know if I don't, if I do this thing and that thing, I'm not going to get paint for an hour today. You know, it's like this choice that I make constantly to put the work first. Yeah. And not waste time. I don't like using the word waste time, but, you know, prioritising making work has been so high on my agenda for pretty much all of my adult life. When you see your children moving into creative careers or their creativity, how does that make you feel? I'm just really, well, I mean, you go and you see your kids grow up and then they get on tech and they waste their time and they do this. And I just think, you know, they do that and I'm like, okay, you know, you've got something in you are you going to use that I guess that's the biggest thing as a parent you know you Mm. dump it all when they're kids you dump it when you can and then they do whatever and so to see them really returning to their own creative roots and make you know and really I've got nothing to do with it there's you know I've actually had very little to do with it but you see them finding their way and then dedicating their own time to making their work it you know it feels like a really great achievement if that's not the right word but I feel very proud of them um, and also happy with some of the choices that have not been easy that I've continued to make over the years um, and happy for the you know happy for them because it's whether or not they have commercial careers or you know whatever the payoff is it's very good for your quality of life to have a stream running through you that is creative because you can dip in and out of it and you can, you know, be refreshed. You can, you know, you can remove yourself from from the real world. And I feel like perhaps everyone needs that anyway. But we, it's like meditation or, you know, I'm a big advocate for that being important for everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've ended up a career of it partially because if I don't have a certain amount of success painting, and I don't earn money, I'm, I will have to go get a job. And then I know I've done this before because I've had to get a job to get a mortgage. <laughs> you know, the bank doesn't like artists. And in those periods of my life, the creative world hasn't run dry, but it has not been maintained because it's so hard to raise children and have a professional working life. And so for me, my intent, my, you know, the intensity of which I work with is sometimes fueled also by the need to pay bills really you know and I did this wonderful collaboration with um you know in Fitzroy with the Hay Store for example that's that's a well-paid commercial application of my work but not in a way because it was an open brief so it's there's an element to it that is more design orientated but it's still my work and it's still using you know the 3d elements of my work to create space and create you know this negative quality to otherwise a blank wall there's all these decisions that I make for my work that are also linked into my sustainability as an artist. Mm. Because if I'm not sustainable, and it's a sad, you know, you know it's, it's the way out. We don't, we live in a capitalistic society. And so there is no, the, the, the support for artists 
to practice and develop practices is just is very 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 minimal minimal you know you know it is minimal and I've had to fight really hard to get little income streams that then feed bigger income streams which is kind of like this you know yeah this is the last podcast episode for the year and also for season four next season it's moving in a different direction so this is the last time we'll do these questions and so do you remember the first piece you sold I do so I don't know if you asked me this on the last one but it was called Wild Territory Romance and I did this particular painting when I was actually no it's not it's probably not the first piece I sold to be honest because I just realized I had an exhibition before it before this particular piece but it was a piece that I really really loved and really resonated with me and because I was in the, lived in the Northern Territory and I did this particular work and someone and I put a price that I felt like was way too much on there and someone bought it and that person has incidentally collected work. Yes, yes. we have spoken about this lady. He has bought work from me so every year for the last 20 years now and really been a huge um, supporter of my supporter. work. Yes. Have you met her in person? Yeah, I have. Actually, she's. I'm invited to, like, she's literally got a house entirely full of my art in Adelaide, which I have an open invitation to. And I'm hoping this year to get over to, to see her. What time do you start in the studio? I've had a sitting in the studio for three, four years. And I've just literally handed the keys back into that and I'm moving. So I moved my entire self back to my home. Yes, and because I just need to be, you know, home. I'm kind of also a sole parent, so. And I start painting. There's no routine at the moment. I'll get up at five, so I get a couple of hours before people wake up, and then I paint at night. Like, and I've done my whole career like this, to be honest. It's just glory days when I get days to paint. So I often paint on the weekends. My kids will go, you know, to their dad on the weekend. So Saturdays and Sundays. I'm often painting. How would you describe your relationship with social media? Oh, well, you know what? I'm actually quite sad that Instagram has changed because it used to be this really, even up until when they've recently changed the algorithm again, maybe a couple of months ago. I mean, social media is always a really great way to share your work, share your processes, and also chat to other, other, you know, other friends. friends. Mates. I know, chat to your mates. And so whereas now it's just become, you know, I feel like, and I've had this conversation with a few people, it's like when social media first came out, it was like we were handed a little gift that was outside of, you know, the the mainstream media ways of press. You could have like, you know, for me, I generate a lot of sales and a lot of conversations, a lot of story, you know, just friends. Yeah. Um, from Instagram, and that has changed. Like it has completely changed, and it's not so much even about the rules; it's just the algorithm, you know. And uh, I don't like making posts to engage an algorithm that are just result, that just sensational. And that's yeah. interesting. What's happening? There's a lot about my life that I could sell down the river that might be interesting. I've got my youngest son loves social media, and he he actually likes being on there. The other two are like. We'll put up the middle finger if there's any. You know, I'm thinking probably the only the, what's going to have to happen is before social media because I was an artist before social media, and 
look at traditional press as a way to advertise things happening and email lists. So basically that's what I'm looking at for 223 is like what press, you know, what traditional press am I willing to and do I want to kind of engage with um, because social media is now not what it was or what other social media platform will come along. Is it possible for it to come along because we are so also over, uh, you know, we're kind of oversaturated anyhow aren't we to the absolute eyeballs you know and that's why i haven't put that film of mine on there i'm like i don't want it to be seen with oversaturated eyes at this point i may make a decision at some point to do something different but who's your biggest fan <laughs> oh who who's who am i a biggest fan of that's probably an easy question i don't know if i No, who's your biggest cheerleader like you know <laughs> no i don't know your biggest fan is the Adelaide lady who's got a retrospective of your work in her house. She's a really big fan. And actually, at the moment, I don't know. I don't know if I have any fans. I think I'm just so in a bubble doing things so with just a hyper-focus. I don't think I have any fans. I think I've stopped doing anything for anybody, to be honest yeah. with you. Like I literally, in the, in the last pretty much probably since COVID, I, you, and if you look at, what I'm doing and where my work is and what I'm, I'm just not. You know, You're making the work for you. I just come to this point where it's just so, the work is just so burning through me and it's not like I'm, I'm just not making anyone for anyone, for anything yep. other than the work that feels like it really needs to be made. If you could spend one day in the studio with any artist, dead or alive, who would it be? <sighs> oh, my God. He's absolutely bonkers. Like, he's bonkers, but it'd have to be Salvador Dali. Like, he's nuts. And he probably would have, he probably would look, he probably would have just, you know, given the era he was in and how they felt about women, he would have just been pulling me apart. But he is bonkers. Um, <laughs> but I just, this is something he had amused. Like, he had, he was channeling something pretty intense with what he made and his ideas, and he made it all happen. Like, you know, I want to have a house built one of my things and I you know I really I have very big ideas I mean I hope that I get to live long enough to really and I guess it's an ego thing too there's artists there's like the balance between ego and creativity and but for me I feel like when you have great loss and great sorrow you kind of come for me I've come out of it with a lot less you know it's life becomes very um distilled into who I care about also is very really narrowed because, you know, when you go through really deep personal stuff, it really shows who's there and who's not. Yeah. What's the one thing in your studio you can't go without? Paintbrushes, actually. I use really pretty specific paintbrushes. What's the strangest thing you've bought in the art store? I don't really, I'm so, like, practical. I don't really let myself buy too many strange things. What do you wish someone had told you before you got into this whole art gig? Probably the longevity is something that you don't factor into. Yeah, and also, so, I mean, you can have a really great success in any way, shape or form, and that might not necessarily, it doesn't guarantee any monetary stability or any um, long-term anything. So I think I've become very immune to success even or, or that you know like doing the things I do I never kind of jump around and, and open a bottle of champagne good or bad but I just because it, it just all like washes over me as something that 
is another layer to it's nice to have accolades or have people like your work or have fans but I think probably the reality is they really mean very little in terms of your long term last question before I let you go where would you like to see your artwork take you over the next couple of years um so you know I've done a lot for myself and by myself uh, in terms of like finding you know the journey of my work but I'm really now leaning toward that place where I'd like to be represented by a really established gallery I guess if you've got a tiny little share portfolio you can manage it yourself but it gets to this point where it's like I have this really big body of work that I feel is growing and and I sometimes don't feel like myself alone that I'm not adequate you know that I need I need more um support not support but I could do with that another you know that, that an established gallery would be able to provide the advice and wisdom that I don't have in terms of managing a body of work long term and where it's going and what's best for it who's going to see it I guess you want to make work so the most amount of people can see it my work a lot of my work is not actually for sale it's just about seeing it just see it you go watch the film and you look at it and you you experience it and you don't you know there's no requirement there to purchase anything so when you're making that kind of that kind of work yeah it's, it's a whole different um, kind of guidance that I feel that I need and I, that will come, I'm sure. Jasmine Mansbridge, you, we have made it. We have made it to the end of the year. <laughs> it's been lovely to revisit with you. Have a wonderful festive season and a safe new year. I look forward to seeing you in 2023 and seeing what, where it takes you. Yeah, and thank you also for your contribution to art and what's happening. You know, you really think you you give a lot of yourself and a lot of energy as well to everybody who comes into your world. You know, and and we need people like you, really. We need, you know, there's no competition. We need people to advocate for artists. And so, yeah, thank you for being (laughs) me. And I look forward to to seeing what you do coming up because you've got a lot of energy and vibrant beautiful things oh you lovely woman thanks jasmine